Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. They Walk Among Us is part of the Acast Creator Network. It was busy that night in Whitechapel, East London. The music was blaring, but none of the guests seemed concerned about the noise from the flat. They were there for the party. Neighbours of Paul Roundhill had become accustomed to these types of gatherings. It was part and parcel of living in close proximity to the writer and literary agent who worked with such clients as British rock star Pete Doherty of the Libertines and Baby Shambles. The loud noises from the flat in the early morning hours were not out of the ordinary, until something unusual happened. As Roundhill's neighbours were settling down for the night, through the walls they could hear people arguing. What started as a simple war of words sounded like it had turned into a physical altercation. There was a struggle followed by swearing, and minutes later, a huge thump. The party at long last turned silent, but something was very, very wrong. And we have no idea of how Mark landed on the pavement outside that flat. We have no idea. The reason why I said to the police that I did it is because uh, um, I'd go out and stuff and people would say, yeah, you murdered, this, that, whatever, and the stress was just too much. I know the truth. My conscience clear. Welcome to Season 7, Episode 9 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. The get-together was already in full swing by the time Mark Blanco arrived. It was a cool winter's day in East London on Monday, December 4th, 2006. Mark was a 30-year-old aspiring actor, an excellent fit for the party attended by other guests in the arts. He was born in the mid-1970s and had grown up in Guildford, famous for its historic cobbled high street. The town in Surrey has a rural feel, just over 30 miles outside the hustle and bustle of the centre of London. 
from the age of six, Mark Blanco was considered a gifted child. The family home was stocked with classic literature, feeding the young boy's appetite for reading. In his free time, he liked to collect books, many of which were rare first editions. According to his mother Sheila, he was a real character and popular, breezing through his formative years at the Royal Grammar School in Guildford. He had won the King's scholarship to attend the prestigious school. When he was 12 years old, his mother and father separated. Antonio Blanco returned to his home country of Spain. After Mark graduated from grammar school, he gained a first in philosophy at Trinity College, Cambridge. There he was fondly known for his eccentric choice of clothing, from tweed suits to cloth caps. His popularity did not diminish as he grew older. Mark Blanco was an accomplished writer and a talented magician, with friends from all walks of life. His mother Sheila recollected, Mark had no prejudices, he was a free spirit. Mark was someone who loved travelling and the new experiences it offered. On the evening of the party, Mark was in a good mood. A blossoming actor, he recently learned that he had been cast in a leading role, starring in the London play Accidental Death of an Anarchist. It was about a man who fell to his death from a police station window. Mark could hardly contain his excitement. He had enthusiastically been telling everybody about the play. Mark was imposing, standing at six feet four inches tall. His height alone made him stand out among the crowd, but he was not the only person that would make others turn their heads at that party. British rock star Pete Doherty, the baby shambles and libertine singer and guitarist, who was then in a relationship with supermodel Kate Moss, was also in attendance. 52-year-old Paul Roundhill had been working as Pete Doherty's agent for some time, and Doherty was a regular at Roundhill's flat. He had penned the famous Baby Shambles song Fuck Forever in that same property. The flat was nicknamed the Hotel in the Sky and was a hotspot for weekly parties, where alcohol and drugs flowed freely. In the mid to late 2000s, if there was ever a party in London, it was practically a given that Pete Doherty would be there, especially if narcotics were involved. Due to his band's popularity, Doherty's addiction and his famous partner, he became a fixture in the British tabloids. Mark Blanco arrived at the party late, at about ten past twelve in the morning, with a bottle of wine in hand. He had heard that Pete Doherty was there, and he thought it would generate some considerable publicity if Doherty attended his upcoming play. That night it was a small and intimate party, with around half a dozen guests, all of whom were friends of Paul Roundhill. There were said to be Class A drugs being consumed, including crack cocaine. Recalling Mark's entrance, Paul Roundhill remarked to a reporter for The Guardian, When Mark arrived, he was extremely excited about the play. He couldn't stop talking about it. He had had quite a lot to drink and was aggressively excited. Not long after Mark Blanco appeared, approximately 20 minutes later, through the walls, neighbours could hear people at the party struggling and shouting at one another. It sounded like there was some kind of altercation. Just ten minutes later, Annabelle Healdsmith, who had been in attendance, left to go home. As she stepped out the door onto the cobbled street, she recoiled in horror she saw somebody crumpled on the floor. 
it was Mark Blanco. He was bruised and bloody, and his breathing was faint. Mark had plummeted eleven feet from the stairwell balcony to the ground. Annabelle ran upstairs to pull Roundhill's flat to raise the alarm. She then ran back downstairs and cradled Mark in her arms. She held tissues to his head to try and stop the bleeding. Other guests at the party came down to see what was happening. P. Doherty was pacing back and forth. He knelt down beside Mark and Annabelle as Annabelle comforted Mark, saying, It's okay. It's all right. Doherty shouted, It's not fucking okay. One of Paul Roundhill's neighbours, Paul Ellis, had looked out of the window and saw Mark on the floor, surrounded by people. Ellis had basic first aid training and ran to the scene to see if he could help. He covered Mark with his cardigan and jacket and knelt down beside him. Nearby, Ellis saw Mark's hat. It must have fallen off when he fell from the balcony. When Paul Ellis picked it up, he noticed it was burned, singed, as if it had been set on fire. At that point, Pete Doherty's unofficial minder, Johnny Headlock, called for an ambulance. The operator asked him what had happened, and Headlock told him, We don't know. We don't know. The operator replied, You're not sure what happened. Headlock responded, We don't know. We don't even know him. Headlock went on to say that he had walked out of a friend's flat and saw a man lying on the ground. Paramedics were dispatched to the scene, but before they arrived, Pete Doherty fled. He was told by other members at the party to leave, knowing that it would cause a great deal of unwanted media attention. Moreover, Doherty had a pocket full of drugs and was on bail. CCTV from outside the flat captured Doherty Headlock and a female friend, 19-year-old Kate Russell Parveer, running past Mark Blanco, who was still lying on the ground. It took paramedics around half an hour to arrive, despite the fact that the Royal London Hospital was just around the corner. By the time the first responders appeared at 12.47am, Pete Doherty, his minder and a friend had got into a taxi and travelled to the Malmaison Hotel in Clerkenwell. Doherty had been staying there for the past couple of nights, paying for a suite. The party continued. A group of around 20 of his entourage had gathered at the hotel. Johnny Headlock described them as the usual losers. Doherty and his acquaintances disrupted a wedding party, set off a fire alarm, smashed up the suite, and ended up fighting. Shortly before 2.30am, a guest in the hotel room adjacent to the one that Doherty was staying in heard somebody shout in a Cockney accent, But I love you. You slack. This was followed by the loud and urgent pleas of Pete, Pete, leave it, mate, leave it. The guest then heard a dull, heavy thud and silence. The fight, like the entire night in Doherty's hotel room, had spiralled out of control, resulting in Johnny Headlock stabbing Mick Whitnall, guitarist of the Baby Shambles, five times with a fork. The guest in the next room phoned the front desk and told the receptionist, Hello, it's all kicking off in room 204. You better get up here quick before someone gets hurt. Staff called the police at around 2.25am, but Doherty once again fled from the scene before the authorities arrived. 
A spokesperson for the hotel later said, There is evidence he took drugs. The carpet's wrecked. There are smashed up bottles everywhere. And the place is covered in blood. Doggerty and his guests had caused £10,000 worth of damage to the hotel. Meanwhile, Mark Blanco was transported to Royal London Hospital. At around 3am, his mother Sheila was awoken by a phone call informing her of the awful news. She was told that her son was unconscious after a fall. Is he going to die? she asked. The nurse replied that Mark was in a bad way. Sheila pulled on her coat and drove to the hospital with her husband, Dr. Brian Stace. They were led into the hospital room, where Mark was connected to a life support machine. His face was bruised, including a black eye. Mark briefly communicated by squeezing his mother's hand, but he never regained consciousness. Sheila stroked Mark's face as he took his last breath at around 4am on Monday morning. As a registered organ donor, Mark Blanco helped to save the lives of three other men. Hours after Mark had passed away, Pete Doherty appeared at Thames Magistrates Court on charges of possessing drugs which included crack cocaine, heroin and cannabis. He was fined £770 and was banned from driving for four months. That same morning, an investigation was immediately launched into Mark Blanco's death. What happened to the young man that was so excited about his future? The first port of call for the police was to interview everybody who attended the party. A handful of witnesses informed officers that shortly before Mark fell to his death, it appeared he was involved in a disagreement with Pete Doherty. One eyewitness said, Blanco arrived at Paul's a little drunk. He and Pete started to niggle each other. It turned into a full-blown argument with insults being thrown on both sides. Some suggested that the argument then turned physical, and Paul Roundhill stepped in between Doherty and Mark Blanco, requesting that Mark leave the flat. The eyewitness then continued, A few minutes later some lads came rushing up to say there was a man lying in the street. Another eyewitness claimed that Doherty Roundhill and Doherty's minder Johnny Headlock had been bullying Mark. One of them said they wouldn't let him sit down and gave the only spare seat to the dog. Then they burnt his cap. Someone punched him three times in the face before he was thrown out of the party. Initially, this was something that Pete Doherty's literary agent Paul Roundhill strongly refuted. He said, Mark was talking to Pete very excitedly about his play. Mark, who is very much loved by many people, arrived in a highly excited state because of his forthcoming play. This was a talented person whose loss is devastating. Roundhill further explained that Mark had brought along a promotional poster for his upcoming performance. At one point, Mark had pinned Doherty up against the wall and waved the poster in his face. Roundhill stated, Pete looked a bit white, and Mark was getting out of order. When Paul Roundhill was subsequently interviewed by the police, he would admit that during the skirmish, he had been the one to set fire to Mark's hat. Roundhill said that Mark had simply refused to listen and Mark was becoming aggressive. Roundhill described how he grabbed Mark by the coat and dragged him out of his flat. 
It was moments later when Mark fell from the balcony to the ground. Roundhill suggested that Mark, who he described as tired and emotional, may have been trying to make a, quote, creative statement by hurling himself over the first floor balcony. This account sounded very similar to Annabelle Healdsmith's version of events. Annabelle was a textile designer and a guest at the party that night. She had been the one to find Mark Blanco outside. She told the police that Mark had been aggressive toward Pete Doherty. She described the scenario saying, Mark was incredibly drunk and really out of order. He pinned Pete up against a wall. Pete was looking around the room as if asking for help. Mark was going on and on in his face. Annabelle said that Paul Roundhill responded, leading Mark to the front door and kicking him out. Annabelle added that when Mark was removed from the party, Roundhill did not follow him. Johnny Headlock, Pete Doherty's minder, granted an interview with the Mail on Sunday, describing the night in question, with the events playing out much like the accounts provided by Paul Roundhill and Annabelle Heald-Smith. Johnny Headlock said, Mark had a big bottle of wine. He was just swigging it out of the bottle. I've known him two or three months, and it was the first time I've seen him as bad as that. He kept going on about a play, on and on and on. He kept grabbing Pete, and I could see it in his eyes. Pete was going on to me, Johnny, tell him, man. Headlock went on to say that Mark was not a small man, so they struggled to control him. In an attempt to distract Mark, Paul Roundhill had taken Mark's hat and set it on fire. Eventually, Headlock said they managed to subdue Mark, taking him to the door which led to the outside balcony, where he ultimately fell to his death. In the interview, Johnny Headlock claimed that once he was out of the flat, he returned and closed the door behind him. We got him out of the house, and like he came back in again somehow, and Paul got him out, and and like we left him outside, and if left. Left him for about 10 minutes, 15 minutes, something like that. Mark was only inside the flat for around five minutes, according to Johnny Headlock. However, this did not correlate with the information provided by the other guests. It quickly became apparent to the police that the partygoers were offering inconsistent accounts. A handful of people said that a physical fight had preceded Mark falling to his death, while others portrayed Mark as the aggressor, but were adamant that nothing physical had taken place, that Mark was simply kicked out because he was being irrational, making for an uncomfortable atmosphere. As the police continued interviewing the attendees, They stressed that they did not think foul play was involved, with a police source commenting, He fell from a first-floor balcony, but at this stage, we don't believe anyone else was involved. However, statements are being taken from people in the flat. Police wanted to hear directly from Pete Doherty, because besides Mark, he was one of the key players in the altercation. Doherty eventually went to the police station where he was questioned, but not under caution, as officers did not believe there was any third-party involvement. As the police were conducting their interviews, Mark Blanco's friends took to MySpace setting up a tribute page. The George Tavern also posted their own memorial to Mark on a blackboard outside. Inside, they hung a photograph of Mark above the fireplace, where guests could write messages of condolence. The play Accidental Death of an Anarchist had been scheduled to play that week at the George Tavern. 
However, the organisers decided they would not proceed without Mark. It just did not feel right. Mark was a regular at the tavern, as was Pete Doherty and his then-partner Kate Moss. The bar manager recollected how Mark was the heart and soul of the tavern. Mark Blanco's autopsy was completed the following morning by Home Office forensic pathologist Dr Ashley Fee-Canal. His cause of death was determined to be severe head injuries consistent with a fall. However, perplexingly, Mark's toxicology report showed that he was not drunk or high on drugs, contrary to what some witnesses had claimed. While the police said they believed Mark had either taken his own life or had an accidental fall, some factors of his death remained unanswered, and an inquest was opened. Those who knew Mark dismissed the idea that Mark had taken his own life. His friend Jerry Sadowitz said Mark had vertigo and would never have thrown himself from the balcony. Jerry went on to say, It appears he was kicked and punched because he had so many broken bones and he had bruises everywhere. It was as though he had been punched several times. His hat was also found near him and it had been burned. He did not deserve to die this way. I'm so angry. The police need to do all they can to find out what happened that night. Mark Blanco's family agreed. They released a public statement which read in part, We absolutely do not believe that Mark committed suicide or that his death was a simple accident. Mark's mother Sheila and his sister Emma spoke with the Independent. They called Pete Doherty and his friends sick and inhumane for leaving Mark bleeding outside and going to the Malmaison Hotel to continue partying like nothing had happened. Mark's loved ones shared their belief that Mark was not the aggressor, as some of the other party guests claimed. His sister Emma said, He was a pacifist. Words were his way of winning. Emma suggested that the other party-goers may have found him intellectually intimidating, but contended that Mark was not the type of person to get into a fight. The findings of the initial investigation were published on December 15th, 2006. Police had concluded that while details of Mark's fall from the balcony were vague, they had found nothing to indicate foul play. The authorities ruled that nobody else had been involved in Mark's death and that he either took his own life or fell from the balcony accidentally when trying to clamber down a lamppost. The inquest was still to be conducted, but the findings of the initial investigation came as a crushing blow for Mark's loved ones. They still believed that something sinister had taken place, resulting in Mark plummeting to his death. His friend Jerry announced that along with Mark's family, they were raising money for a private investigation. They advertised in Private Eye magazine, and Jerry explained, Mark was a good friend. There are many issues surrounding his death which have not been cleared up. As the family began their fundraiser, Pete Doherty returned to Paul Roundhill's flat. He was not there for a memorial or to pay tribute to Mark, but instead he was there to film a music video. With the camera rolling, Doherty sat down on the couch and grabbed his guitar. Referring to his friend Paul Roundhill by his nickname, Doherty said, I just thought I'd pop into Paolo's, a much maligned figure, justifiably I suppose, but on the whole if drugs and suspicious deaths don't get in the way, this place is quite creative for me. 
Doherty then launched into a new song, which was called The Lost Art of Murder. The video was then uploaded to the internet, and it felt like a slap in the face for Mark's friends and family. In October 2007, Mark's loved ones gathered at Poplar's Coroner's Court for the inquest. Coroner Dr. Andrew Reed said he could not draw any, quote, satisfactory inferences from the surveillance footage that pictured Mark hitting the ground. According to the coroner, Mark had not taken his own life and suggestions that he had accidentally fallen while trying to climb down the lamppost were purely speculation. Dr. Reed halted the inquest and asked investigators to re-examine the evidence. Surprisingly, it had been revealed that several weeks after Mark had died, Johnny Headlock, Pete Doherty's minder, had called 999 and told the operator that he had been the one to push Mark Blanco off the balcony. For reasons unknown, this information was never included in the official report to the coroner. Furthermore, several of Headlock's acquaintances would be interviewed by the media, and they divulged that he had confessed to them too, and spoke of needing to lay low. I phoned the police and I just said to them, yeah, I killed him, but I don't know why. Got in the cell and I was lying down, I was thinking, oh, somewhere to sleep at night. And then I was lying down, I was thinking, hold on, man, I've opened a can of worms here. Because it was just sort of dying down, I think. And I thought, no, nah, man. And then I just started knocking on the door, I said, no, can you let me out, man? I didn't really do it. <laughs> Headlock had testified during the inquest and admitted that he had told the police he pushed Mark from the balcony after Mark annoyed Pete Doherty. Headlock referred to his confession in the inquest, but described the admission, which he had since retracted, as the stupidest thing he had ever done in his life. He claimed that when he called the police to confess, he had been off his head, stating, I'd lost my mind because people were doing my head in. People like that sitting there with their smug faces. As he made this comment, Edlock pointed toward Mark's friends and family sitting in the inquest. Johnny Headlock went back over the night in question. He described how Pete Doherty had asked him to have a word with Mark, who had arrived at the party in what Headlock described as a hyper state. He said that Paul Roundhill had set Mark's hat on fire before dragging him to the door of the flat, where Roundhill ejected Mark outside. CCTV evidence from the street below showed Mark leaving the flat, but returning two minutes later. This same CCTV camera then captured Mark plummeting from the open balcony on the stairwell to the ground below but it was not clear whether he had been pushed. While the pathologist Dr Ashley Fegan Earl had determined there was no evidence consistent with assault, Paul Roundhill admitted during the inquest that he had punched Mark three times as he threw him out of the flat. Roundhill said he never told the police about this because they were weak, ineffectual gestures. Pete Doherty was not called to testify during the inquest. He had just checked out of rehab after allegedly staying off drugs for six weeks. The coroner's decision to halt the proceedings and reopen the case led to applause in the court from Mark's friends and family. Outside, his mother Sheila said, I hope we will get a thorough investigation so we can get justice for my son. She further commented that she did not feel anything positive or negative toward Pete Doherty. She only wanted the truth. I'm hoping to get somebody convicted for either pushing or bundling or throwing Mark over this balcony because nobody 
None of his friends, no family, nobody believe that he went over this balcony unaided. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Pete Doherty, Paul Roundhill and Johnny Headlock were now to be reinvestigated in connection with Mark Blanco's death. While the police had initially ruled out any foul play, the coroner was not so sure. Sheila Blanco granted an interview with the Mail on Sunday to speak about the case being reopened. She said, Mark's death has left a void in our lives. It's a tragedy that has been made more painful by the sheer incompetence of those responsible for finding out how it came about. I still can't believe that he's gone. I know that I can't bring him back but I must find out why he died. My grief is on hold. I've had to stay in control to get things done. The initial disbelief and numbness of Mark's death quickly turned to frustration because it was clear that the police were not investigating the circumstances properly. While it had been reported that Mark was highly intoxicated at the party, Sheila had paid for a second post-mortem which found no evidence of drugs in his system, and with the level of alcohol in his blood, he would not have been drunk. Furthermore, when Sheila held her son in the hospital, she took a photograph of him. In the picture, Mark clearly has a black eye. The injuries he had sustained in the fall were to the back of his head. Sheila said this was evidence that Mark had been assaulted before falling to his death. She criticised the initial investigation and revealed that she had gone to the block of flats to see where Mark had died. There she discovered the left lens of her son's glasses. Sheila handed it to a police officer who just handed it back, telling her to hold on to it as a keepsake. As she said, I realised then that no proper forensic work had been done. Scotland Yard responded to the criticism 
and claimed that a full investigation had been conducted before they concluded that foul play was not involved. The new inquiry was being headed by some of Scotland Yard's leading experts. But frustratingly, the second investigation offered no insight into Mark Blanco's death. The investigator said they could not say whether Mark jumped or fell, possibly because of a criminal act. It's 12 months since Sheila Blanco's son Mark died and today she attended memorial prayers at her local church, remembering the 30-year-old who fell to his death in December last year. There are conflicting stories. Some people say they know. They write on the internet that they know what has happened. Um, police statements were not taken very seriously and so on. I'm sure people know what happened. Sheila Blanco would continue in her fight to uncover the truth. As part of the private investigation, she employed the services of a biomechanics expert. They simulated and analysed Mark's fall and tested whether he could have sustained the fatal head injuries after falling from the balcony. The expert concluded that the injuries were not consistent with an accidental fall. Sheila and the investigators were working on the theory that Mark was unconscious when he fell from the balcony. Karina Corey believed that if Mark had jumped deliberately, he would have most likely landed feet first and injured his feet or legs, or if he fell accidentally, he would have shattered his wrists or elbows. Sheila Blanco then sought the opinion of neurobiology expert Professor Richard Wassersuck. Wasasug said that a person in free fall would react differently to protect their head, which Mark did not do based on the footage. Professor Wasasug also deduced that if Mark had jumped, his body would not have been subjected to such serious trauma. The professor's report read in part, to sustain lethal injury almost exclusively to the head in a fall from such a low height, would require more than just drug-induced poor coordination and slow reflexes. The years passed, and in 2010, Pete Doherty found himself embroiled in another scandal when socialite and heiress to the Goldsmith dynasty, Robin Whitehead, died at a flat rented by Doherty's friend Pete Wolfe. She had been filming a documentary on Pete Doherty. Robin's cause of death was drug overdose. But the night before she died, she had been with Doherty. Doherty's friend Pete Wolf would be charged with supplying cocaine in connection with her death. And Pete Doherty would be charged with possession of the Class A drug. Sheila Blanco's perseverance over the years had paid off, and in December it was announced that a file had been sent to the Crown Prosecution Service. Sources close to the investigation shared their belief that a murder charge was imminent. In early 2011, Pete Doherty went to a London police station to answer questions about the case but his solicitor Sean Curran stressed that his client was not formally questioned by the police, telling the Guardian he did attend a police station to help them with their inquiries, but he attended voluntarily. Gila Blanco said that if the police refused to press charges, she would be launching a private prosecution. However, in May, prosecutors announced that there was insufficient evidence to bring criminal charges. Speaking about the decision, Jenny Hopkins from the Crown Prosecution Service said, None of the evidence is capable of establishing to the required standard that Mr. Blanco was thrown or pushed from the balcony, or that any other individual was present at the time he fell. It was a blow to Mark's mother, Sheila, who lashed out saying, It's a police cover-up. 
I really did not expect anything better. Shortly after the decision, Pete Doherty publicly addressed the death of Mark Blanco, along with his thoughts on Robin Whitehead. On Doherty's blog, he wrote, I have said nothing about any of this up until now. Even the words attributed to me are incorrect. I'll tell you how I feel. Sick to my heart with sadness for the parents and family of both Mark and Robin, for different reasons. Although in both cases the relatives have suffered due to the unprecedented media insistence that foul play and the evil junkie Pete Doherty are to blame for two tragic deaths. Mrs. Blanco. Your son was well-liked and well-loved, and many respected him for his wit and his talent and his intelligence. I met him on two occasions. The night that he died, he was intensely agitated and extremely hyperactive and intoxicated. He was ejected from Paul's flat because of his aggressive and loud attempts to belittle me and assert his view that I was a hyped-up pop star and he was a talented actor about to star in a play called Accidental Death of an Anarchist. Paul was dismayed that his friend was showing me this side of his character when in reality we could have been friends and exchanged ideas. When he left the flat, he was alone. And when he fell or jumped, he was alone. That is what happened. He either fell or was making an extreme point about the nature of life imitating art. A renewed investigation into the death of Mark Blanco was launched in 2012. The CCTV footage of Mark falling from the balcony was examined by US-based forensic experts. They concluded that Mark could have been carried and dropped from the balcony. In comments widely reported in the press, John Kennedy, a video forensic specialist, said, The only explanation I can think of is that somebody might have dropped him off the balcony. He doesn't climb over the railings himself. He doesn't jump. He just suddenly appears outside the railings and falls. The following year, Sheila Blanco called for a cold case review of her son's death. She asked Pete Doherty to pay for expert analysis of the CCTV footage. Sheila said, If he wants to show that he has got nothing to hide, he could defray the costs if he truly wants to help. If he wants to show that he really regrets what he did, then he could help. A cold case review was never launched, but Scotland Yard is said to still be investigating the case. Over the years, Sheila's refused to put a headstone on her son's grave. She says she won't until she knows the truth about how he died. When he was dying, I vowed to him that I would find out what happened, and that's what I intend to do. So where are we now? In 2016, ten years after Mark Blanco's untimely death, his mother organised a memorial concert to celebrate her son's life. Emma, Mark's sister, led a string quartet in tribute to her brother, and dedicated musicians travelled from as far away as Brazil to play at the concert. To this day, nobody has ever been held accountable for Mark Blanco's death. Despite the passage of time and the devastating effect of losing a son, Mark's mother Sheila remains a resilient woman. She has set up a website, justiceformark.com, and longs for the day that she can update it to say that somebody is being prosecuted for her son's death. Speaking of Mark in 2010, 
Sheila told a reporter for the Times newspaper that he had a curiosity to experience everything, adding, Perhaps naively, he wanted to see what life was like in Whitechapel. Sheila still clings to the hope that one day, the truth of what happened to her son will be revealed, and Mark's family and friends will get the answers they rightly deserve. Thank you for listening, and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.